Well, even though we don't have the stage area decorated with poinsettias yet, we're going to begin week two of our Advent series that we're calling Shadows of the Savior, where we're going to trace shadows of the Savior, um, which means the coming of Christ. We're going to trace those shadows through the biblical covenants of the Old Testament. There are shadows of the Lord Jesus all over the Old Testament, especially the various covenants that God makes with his people. This morning we're going to look at God's covenant with Noah and the shadows of the Savior that are there. Beloved, please stand for the reading of God's word. This morning our scripture reading is Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 22. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God, written for you and written for me. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh, meaning all of mankind, had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, of all mankind. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Now, Hebrew cubit was most likely 18 inches long, which makes this boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That's the length of a football field and a half, giving it a combined deck capacity of almost 100,000 square feet. Verse 16, God says, Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female." Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated.
Now, even though I can't tell you exactly what it sounded like, I'll never forget that there was a sound. At first, I didn't know what it was, but I could tell that Stephanie was also sitting up in bed beside me at 5.30 a.m., and she heard it too. Very soon thereafter, we heard what sounded like water pouring onto the floor of the tile in our bathroom. And then we heard it pouring other places. It was February 16th of this past year, and the temperature had not risen above 14 degrees in the DFW area in over two days. At the time that three pipes burst in our attic, it was 5.30 a.m. and three degrees outside. The only thing keeping our house from being totally flooded was the water shut off under the large, very large, manhole cover by the curb in our front yard. It took us only three or four frantic minutes to get dressed, find the key, this is key, the key, the key to the manhole cover and head out in the darkness to turn off the valve. We were like the Boy Scouts. Unlike others, we had a key. We were prepared until we weren't. It wasn't until we pulled off the manhole cover that we discovered that the valve to turn off the water was totally buried. The ground was frozen and I couldn't dig it out. My knuckles were bleeding. All the while, in my mind, there was a mental water meter recording the gallons and gallons and gallons of water that were pouring all over our house. And I can tell you this, I promise you this, it was nothing less than the grace of God in Christ Jesus that allowed my beautiful wife, Stephanie Ray, to find another water shutoff valve that we did not know we had under the darkness and the snows she dug and shut off that water. If not for that, our house would have been ruined. It would have been flooded. Now, of course, I know many of you had the same experience. And some of you lost your houses due to the flooding caused by broken pipes. The damage was extremely widespread. But of course, it was not as widespread as the damage caused by the flooding in Noah's day. No, that flooding was of a different kind altogether. The water damage we all experienced, though inconvenient and very difficult, it was fixable. Lives were not lost due to it for the most part. That was not the case in Noah's day. Friends, the context of our passage is this. It has been now since the fall of Adam. That was the first covenant we looked at last week. It has been many, many, many years since the fall of Adam. And sin had taken root in wicked, pervasive, and incredibly destructive ways. Wicked and pervasive to the degree that the Lord God committed himself to an act of judgment with a capital J and recreation. The very good world that God had created at the beginning was now marred by sin to the degree that judgment was coming. And in the same way that God had made a covenant with Adam, 
that had implications not just for Adam and Eve, but for the rest of posterity, God here makes a covenant with Noah. Look at chapter 6, verse 17 in your bulletin. The Lord God says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, meaning all mankind, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my, my covenant. The Hebrew word is berit. I will establish my berit with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. As we've talked about before, a biblical covenant is a solemn covenant, okay? It's a binding agreement. And even though it was made with Noah directly, okay, it had implications for his family and his descendants and many afar off after this covenant. And of course, there are always terms in every covenant. Uh, most covenants are bilateral, meaning there are terms and commitments made by both parties. Sometimes they're unilateral. They're one way. God makes a covenant, promises things, and fulfills his obligations. This one would be a bilateral covenant. And we'll see what that will involve soon. Okay, before we go to chapter 7, here's where things stand. By Noah's day, the world had become wicked to the degree that God was going to issue judgment and engage in recreation. And the instrument of his judgment is a worldwide flood that will destroy the surface of the earth. And God has instructed Noah to build an ark, like a massive ship. It would be the size of like a large cargo ship that you might see in the ocean. Obviously, it's not as big as we can build today, but it was massive for its day. He was to bring in pairs of both clean and unclean animals to repopulate the post-flood world. Everything and everyone not in that ark. Everyone and everything not in that ark would die. Okay, now go to panel 5, chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. It's printed there. It may seem like a lot, okay, but it's very interesting. And like the ark, the story is just going to carry us along. It's fascinating. It's riveting even. Remember, there are going to be many, many shadows of the Savior all throughout this covenant. And that's what we're doing in this Advent series as we're tracing the shadows of the Savior through God's biblical covenant, setting the stage for the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see those shadows even here. Okay, I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 of chapter 7. That's not printed in your bulletin. And then I'll pick up in verse 17, which is in your bulletin. Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, all the fountains of the great deep burst open. And so there were these massive aquifers that were under the surface of the earth that just exploded and water went everywhere. And the floodgates of the sky were also opened. Genesis 7, 12, the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now verse 17, which is printed in your bulletin. Panel 5, just confirm that that's the case, yes. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. 
the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all of the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits feet deep. That's 22 feet. The highest mountains of the world were covered under 22 feet of water. This was a flood that we cannot even imagine the power and intensity of. Verse 21, And all the flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land, and whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. Verse 23, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the earth. Man and animals, notice the repetition here, the extent of it. Man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed, in other words, they continued to build on the earth 150 days. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and water subsided. These things are hearkening back to Genesis where the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. There's not only judgment, but hints of recreation here. Verse 2. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained. 8.3. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated, meaning they had begun to recede. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, there is a date stamp here, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Mountains of Ararat are in modern-day Turkey. Verse 5, and the waters continued to abate or recede until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Can you imagine what that would have been like? You should imagine this in your mind's eye, in this massive ark, water everywhere. You've been in there for months and months, and all of a sudden, just now, you can see the top of the highest mountains. Just the tips of them can be seen. Verse 6. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. Verse 10 of chapter 8. He waited another seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. 
Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore, which meant there was land out there to the degree that they were free to leave the ship. They could disembark. All told, now scholars disagree, but it's most likely the case that they were in that ark for 365 days. An entire year, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives were in that ark. Verse 20. Notice what Noah does. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. There were seven pairs of the clean animals and, and one pair of the unclean. Verse 21, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For, the Hebrew there probably should read even though, so let me start that quote again when God says in verse 21, I will never again curse the ground because of man. It really should read even though the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, the seasons, day and night, they shall not cease. So what we're experiencing right now with the change in season is a sign that God is fulfilling his promise to Noah. In response to Noah's sacrifice, God promises that he will never destroy the earth again in this fashion. It is the promise of a stable creation in which Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives could be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth and exercise dominion once again. The conditions of that would be stable. Chapter 9, verse 8, also in your bulletin. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, here's the key, I establish my covenant, my barit with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, for it is for every beast of the earth. They're going to be blessed by extension through this covenant with Noah. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you, Noah, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall, the, shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is key, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Verse 16. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant. Notice the repetition that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Central to God's covenant with Noah, central to it, is the promise that he would never destroy the earth again 
via a flood. It was pro promising stability so that Noah and his family could be fruitful and multiply. How did he confirm the covenant? So the covenant is, it involves a number of things. This, the centerpiece is, I will never destroy the earth in this way. I'm going to promise a stable creation and to let you know that it's true and that I am a God of my word. I've set my rainbow in the heavens. We kind of all know that, that the rainbow is a sign of God's covenant promise. But if you notice the ESV, some translations translate that word rainbow. The ESV doesn't do that. How does the ESV translate that word? Many translations translate it rainbow. What does the ESV say? He says, when I set my what? My bow in the heavens. It's not a rainbow. I mean, it is a rainbow, but it's really referring to an archer's bow. It's a word for an instrument of battle. It's an archer's bow that is set in the heavens that confirms that God will keep his word. Have you ever thought about the direction in which that bow is pointed? The bow is pointed toward heaven. So this is God saying that if he doesn't keep the covenant, if he's not true to his word, he is invoking a curse on himself. May he receive the wrong end of that arrow. So every single time the Lord God sees a rainbow or a bow in the heavens, it is a reminder, as it were, to the true and living God that he will be faithful to his covenant for all time. There are more shadows of the Lord Jesus in this passage that we have time to cover. But here are just four for our consideration as we prepare for the advent of our Lord, this passage, this covenant, pictures, pictures the Lord Jesus and his work in a variety of ways. So many, just four. First is Noah's name. Do you think it's just a coincidence that Noah's name means what? Rest. The name Noah means rest. His father gave him that name. We know why in Genesis chapter 5. Verse 29, it reads, And his father called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, meaning my son, shall bring us what? Relief or rest. It's a very similar Hebrew word to the word for Noah. This one shall bring us relief or rest from our work and from the painful toil of our hands, which was a way of saying that through Noah, through this one, God was going to bring his people relief from the effects of the curse. It's a foreshadowing of Noah's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we find what? Ultimate rest and refuge and safety and protection. Shadows of the Savior are even here. Foreshadowings of the Lord Jesus Christ in Noah are even here. But of course, there's more. This is mind-blowing. Noah pictures the Lord Jesus in that in Noah, we find rest, safety, and refuge. The same is also true of the ark. Now, the Hebrew word there for ark, it's not the same word as the ark of the covenant, but it is the exact same word of the basket into which Moses' mother placed him in the Nile. The exact same word, not a coincidence. It was only in these arcs, 
that there was safety from watery destruction. There was one safe place in the midst of this cataclysmic deluge. It was that ark while the waters raged and the storms happened and the earth broke up there was one safe place that tiny little vessel there was hell as it were outside and there was peace and refuge from within in Noah's case and Moses's case to be in the ark was to live and have life of course that's a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we find rest and we find refuge because Peter tells us a day is coming when judgment with even a greater J is coming and there's one safe place in the Lord Jesus Christ in the ark that is Christ now the third this is fascinating fascinating worth the price of admission today the third is the very structure in which the story was written because there's a Hebrew chiasm that gives shape and frame to the text, okay? And so a, a Hebrew chiasm is that you have these concepts that are carefully arranged in a particular order and then they're repeated in reverse order with the meat in the middle. So this Hebrew chiasm, this is a literary device where you have things arranged in a particular order and then they're in reverse order Okay, and it draws your attention where? It draws your attention to the middle of the chiasm. In fact, Mark uses this all the time in his gospel where we have these Markin sandwiches, if you will. So there's this Hebrew chiasm that gives shape and frame to almost the entire account. So, in the beginning of chapter 7, it's a numeric chiasm. In the beginning of chapter 7, the passage mentions seven days, and then seven days and then 40 days, and then 150 days. That ends chapter 7. Okay? You have 7 and 7, 40 and 150. And then chapter 8, you have the exact opposite. We have the numbers in reverse order. In 8, 3, 150 days. In 8, 6, 40 days. In 8, 10, 7 days. In 8, 12, 7 days. The middle of the chiasm is always the point. Genesis chapter 8 Verse 1 is the center of the chiasm. It's the center of the account. What does Genesis 8-1 say? And God remembered Noah. That's the point in the midst of this watery deluge, this cataclysmic flood. God Almighty remembered Noah. And because God remembered Noah, his family found rest and safety. Noah... This whole story, it's typological, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Why did God save Noah? Now the text calls Noah a righteous man, but does that mean Noah was sinless? Absolutely not. So why was Noah and his family saved and everybody else judged? Is, is it because he didn't have sin? Well, of course he had sin. On what basis? Did God save Noah and his family? What do you think it was? Did God turn a blind eye? Did he just say, I forgive him? Absolutely not. What did Noah and his family do when they got off that ark? They offered what we call, or what the text calls, a burnt offering. 
that's one of the earliest signs of atonement in the Old Testament. An offering of atonement was an offering that satisfied or placated God's wrath. Which meant that God accepted the blood of those animals in Noah's place. And by extension, the place of his family. Where there is sin, there has to be judgment, and God provided a substitute. And of course, that's what he's done in the Lord Jesus. Okay, judgment's coming. And God does not turn a blind eye to sin. That would be contrary to his nature. Judgment is coming. Thankfully, thankfully, the Lord our God has provided an ark. He has provided a place of rest and refuge. And that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think of what it was like outside that ark. When I was a boy, I'll never forget. I've, I've had trouble sleeping all my life. I have no idea why. Kind of go through seasons of, of difficulty with sleeping. But when I was a boy and I would go through periods of insomnia, I would imagine myself in my bed and I would put myself in, in kind of a story. And this is probably when I'm six, seven, eight years old. And usually this would be like during the winter and it was just freezing outside. Maybe it was raining and, and whatnot. I would, I would imagine myself like, you know, and, it, and I really wasn't thinking of this story. I would imagine like my little bed is like a boat. Like a small little boat in the midst of an angry and incredibly cold ocean. And as long as I stayed in the boat, as long as I stayed under those covers, I was safe and protected and warm. And that would put me to sleep. And little did I know that there were echoes of that dream that were all too real. Little did I know that that dream was pointing to a much greater reality. That there is safety and refuge in the ark. The Lord Jesus Christ. We'll end with this. Okay, like I said, there, there are... These covenants are often bilateral. Okay? God is he, is... he is the sovereign of this covenant. And we are the recipients of this covenant. Okay? God fulfills his obligation. Okay? He's, he's providing a stable creation. He's not destroying the earth again by a flood. But Adam had an obligation. As Chris so eloquently explained, what did Adam have to do? He had to trust God by faith. In the midst of a world that thought he was insane, no doubt, and crazy, he had to trust God, he had to spend decades building this boat, and then at the end of the day, what did he have to do? He had to get in and let the Lord his God shut that door. God has provided something so much more significant than an ark. He's provided the Lord Jesus Christ. As we prepare for the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, have you gotten in that ark? Peter says that, you know, scoffers will come and say, you know, creation just goes along like it already has, like it always has, and judgment's not coming. And Peter says, and then it is going to come. Okay? And there's going to be only one safe place when that day comes, the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we know refuge and life and rest. He is our ark. Have you gotten in? Have you trusted in him? There's a day coming when judgment comes where you will be so thankful that you got in that ark and trusted in his provision and grace. There is no safer place to be than the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you and praise you for who you are and for all that you have done. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. 
as the waters of judgment come. Father, thank you that through Noah, you have given us blessing and refuge and rest, not in some wooden boat, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, remind us today of our need for him. Father, reinforce our, 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 our understanding that we need to be in that safe place. We need to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to trust him and love him and serve him. Help us to worship him and thank him for offering himself so that we could be safe in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.